Would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious Father, we, we thank you for this time today where we get to gather with our church family. Father, I am so grateful for brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, Father, just for the, the gift of the church. Lord, the church is the bride of Christ. Father, if you are, if you are willing to call the church the bride of your Son, Father, then we better have a high view of the church. We better love the church. If we're going to say that we love Jesus, we better love the church as well. Father, we thank you for the benefits that come with being a part of a local congregation of believers. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that that provides. We thank you for the the challenge that it provides in our lives as we seek to grow in our relationship with you and father we need one another to push us along lovingly and gently uh, pushing us towards christ lord we get to spur one another on to love and good deeds as your word says when we gather together so we just thank you for this opportunity this morning we thank you for uh, the worship that has already taken taken place lord through our songs through our giving through praying through baptism through our fellowship with one another, Lord, we pray that you have been honored and glorified. And now, Lord, we pray that you would receive honor and glory in the way that we come to this time in our service, this time when we open up your word and we spend some time feasting upon the riches of the Bible. Father, thank you for providing us your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak the truth of your word into our hearts and minds today. And Lord, we pray that you would change us however you want to for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 is where we will be today. Exiles to the end, participating in God's church. Well, that season of the year is upon us. And no, I'm not talking about Christmas, though it is upon us. And I just want to interject here. Thank you to those who make our our building here look so beautiful during Christmas season. I love it. And they do such a great job. And so I just want to say thank you. But I'm not talking about the Christmas season. I'm talking about championship season. And before those of you who are already thinking up your comebacks, I'm not going to Talk about certain teams, okay? We'll leave that for the hallways and the parking lot after the service. So calm down, calm down. Won't make any comments. I think I'm wearing pretty neutral colors today, okay? All right? Don't want to lead any brothers or sisters in Christ to stumble. But it is that season of the year where we do, those of you who enjoy sports, and especially football, think about championship time. You know, I was thinking about that, and there's all kinds of ingredients that goes into making a team that is successful. But one of the hallmarks of a championship team, regardless of who it is, is their commitment to their coaches and to one another. Would you agree with me? One of the hallmarks of a championship team is their commitment to their coaches and to one another. A team that fails to submit to the leadership of the coaches 
and that fails to foster healthy relationships among one another as the team members, that team is not going to be able to stand the tests and the trials of the season and then the postseason. They're not going to be able to endure to the end. And similarly, Christians who face many trials, many tests, and who will, as we've seen in 1 Peter, will suffer for the name of Christ, must submit to their leadership and foster healthy relationships among one another if they want to remain faithful to Jesus, or another way we could say that, if they want to endure to the end. Now, God has given us a team, if you will, and we call that the church. And he has given this team, this church, certain instructions about the way it is to be structured. And he has commanded this team to act towards one another in a certain way. Now, this is not a burden for us as Christians. I'll go ahead and say that. And some people think that the church, this team, is a burden to be a part of. But it's not. In fact, it's a good gift from the Lord. It's something that will help us live out our calling as Christians. A Christian who wants to persevere as an elect exile must participate and I'll add this and must participate well or in the right way in a local church. Now, I want you to turn your attention to this passage in First Peter, First Peter, chapter five, verses one through five. You follow along as I read. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In this passage, we see this, that persevering as an exile requires participating in local gatherings of elect exiles called churches. If we're going to persevere as exiles, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, then we must participate in the gathering of exiles, which is called the church. And so where are you getting this word exile from? Well, if you were to turn back to the opening verse of First Peter, you would see that he calls the Christians that he's writing to elect exiles. It means they've been, they've been chosen by God to belong to God and no longer to belong to this world. So as Christians, we live in this world, but we don't belong to it anymore. You say, well, where do we belong? We belong in heaven. We belong with God. But he leaves us here because we have a mission. We are to represent him well to those who don't know him so that through the way that we live, through our good deeds and what we say as we speak the good news of Jesus Christ, we can lead them to become worshipers of Jesus as well. To become exiles here, but citizens of heaven. And so Peter's writing this letter to instruct these elect exiles how they are to do that, specifically as they suffer for the name of Christ. Now, as he brings this letter to a close, Peter shares with them several important truths that will help them remain exiles to the end. 
And he's talked a lot about how living for Jesus in a world that often hates Jesus will be difficult. And it will bring upon the Christian a unique set of sufferings. And he's called that suffering for righteousness sake. That's how Peter is called that type of suffering in this letter. Now, the end of chapter four, we saw the first of these things that we need to do if we're going to remain faithful to the end. And that was to trust that God is sovereign over our suffering. That was the last part of chapter four. We looked at that last week. If we're going to remain faithful to the end, (coughs) endure suffering for Christ, then we're going to have to trust that God is in control. We're going to have to trust that he's in control over that suffering. And we saw that in the previous passage at the end of chapter four. And the second thing that he tells us in this passage here, if we're going to remain exiles to the end, we're going to remain faithful to the end, is we have to participate in the local church. Listen, God hasn't left us alone as followers of Christ. He has given us one another. He hasn't said, all right, go live as a Christian. Good luck. You're all on your own. You're all by yourself. He says, no, I'm going to gather you together in local churches. You can encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. And then you'll be able to live out the calling that he's placed in your life out in the world. That's what we want to see here in this passage. I want to share with you three truths in this passage that should lead us to participate and participate well in the local church. The first is this. As elect exiles, we endure present suffering as we wait on future glory. I love this. We endure present suffering as we wait on future glory. Notice the first verse here in chapter 5. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. Now, remember that word so or therefore in light of what I've just said, in light of the fact that we will suffer as Christians. I mean, that's what he spent the last part of chapter 4, really a lot of this letter talking about. So in light of the fact that it's going to be hard. That's what he's saying. It's going to be difficult to live as a Christian in this world. In light of that, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Before he ever gets to the exhortation, he kind of gives this introduction. In fact, he's almost like he's kind of given some qualifications of why he should be allowed to speak in their lives. Now, he's already given them his main qualification at the very beginning of this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has the right to speak into their lives because he is an apostle. But here he puts his apostleship to the side for just a moment and he calls himself a fellow elder with them. He is speaking specifically to the elders in the church. Now, we're going to talk about what el- who elders are in just a moment. But it's not talking about the older people in a church in an in a age sense. It's talking about the office of elder in the church. We'll talk about that again in just, in just a few moments. But Peter... He says, listen, I'm with you in this. I'm a fellow elder, and I want to give you some encouragement. But before he gives them the encouragement, he talks about the present suffering and the future glory. Notice what he says. Not only am I a fellow fellow elder, or we could say for now a fellow leader in the church, he says, and I'm a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, why would he say that? Well, Peter has constantly been bringing the hearts and minds of these Christians back to the fact that Jesus has suffered for them. I think that leaves us with with two thoughts. Number one, if we follow Jesus and Jesus suffered, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to suffer too, okay? If our master suffered, that's going to come. So just another reminder, don't forget our master suffered. But as he said multiple times in this letter, he suffered for you. He suffered in my place, in your place. And so it's sobering. 
a reminder that the one I follow suffered, so I'm going to suffer too. But at the same time, when he suffered, he suffered in my place. And so he is worthy of whatever persecution may come my way. I think this sobers us, but it also makes us want to surrender our lives to Jesus. I'm willing to endure whatever I have to endure to follow Jesus because he has suffered for me. No one else has done for you and done for me what Jesus Christ has done. When he suffered and went to the cross and died, he was taking your place and my place. He was satisfying God's wrath towards your sin and my sin. We should be punished, but Jesus was punished in our place. But his suffering leads to glory in the same way that our suffering leads to glory. Notice that he doesn't just say that he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but he's also a fellow. We could use that word fellow all the way through that first verse, a fellow elder, a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as, doesn't want us to forget this, as well as a partaker, a fellow partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And so while suffering may last for a season, for a little while, Jesus is one day coming back and he's talked about this glory that's going to be revealed over and over. As Christians, we must keep our eyes fixed on what is coming so that we'll live the right way in the present. So we suffer for Christ now, knowing that a future glory is on the way. Peter understands the greatness of what is coming for believers far outweighs. Listen, Christian. What is coming for us far outweighs whatever kind of suffering we might have to endure in the present. When we realize the suffering we must endure and the joy of what is coming, we're going to want to do everything we can to endure to the end. Listen, if the coach can stand up and say, I guarantee if you continue following my plan, you follow me, I can guarantee it that one day you'll be holding that trophy at the end of the season. You will be victorious. Now, no coach can do that. No coach here of any team can actually guarantee that. They may say that in the locker room, but they don't know exactly what the outcome of the game is going to be. But listen, Jesus can say that. He can guarantee that the glory is coming because he has already won the victory when he rose up from the dead. And so, listen, if we want to share in that victory, then we're going to want to persevere to the end. If we are leaders, we'll want to lead the way God instructs to help the church persevere to the end. If we are not the leaders, then we're going to want to follow the leadership the way God instructs so that we can persevere to the end. And all of us are going to want to have the appropriate attitudes so that we can work together to endure to the end. So first we turn then to the leadership. Truth number two is this, to help us endure as we wait. Right? Present suffering, future glory means we want to endure. We want to share in that glory. So to help us endure as we wait, God gives the church elders to shepherd under the authority of Jesus. God gives the church elders to shepherd under the authority of Jesus. We see this in verses 2 through 4. So here's his command. So remember how we started. I exhort or I'm going to I'm going to encourage. I'm going to strongly encourage. You can almost say I'm going to command the elders among you. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God. 
shepherd. That's the command here. Shepherd the flock of God. Well, let's talk for just a few moments about this word elder. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago that this, el- this word elder is not referring to the age of people. In fact, it's referring to an office within the church. There are two offices that we see in Scripture God calls people to be set apart for in the local, a local church congregation. One is the office of elder and one is the office of deacon. Now, there's a few different words that are used for this office of elder. And they're used interchangeably throughout Scripture. So there's three words. Sometimes the word elder is used. Sometimes the word overseer is used. And sometimes the word shepherd is used. Now, we get the word pastor from the word shepherd. So when we say shepherd, you can that's the synonym with pastor. It means the same thing. So elder, overseer, pastor, or elder, overseer, shepherd. And these, these three words, these three titles of this office are used interchangeably throughout Scripture. They're not three different offices. They are all referred to the same. So you have elder, overseer, shepherd, and you have deacons. Now, we see here we're talking about the office of elder, overseer, shepherd. What's interesting about this passage is one of the places in Scripture where we really see all three used. Notice that it says shepherd. Okay, there's one of the words, shepherd the flock of God. Then you're going to notice about halfway through verse, a quarter of the way verse, through verse 2, exercising oversight. Okay, that's the word overseer. Okay, and so sometimes in Scripture, this office is called overseers. It's the same word there for exercising oversight. So that's two of those words, um, shepherd and oversight. And, and then we have the word elder, which we started with. Okay, so elder, shepherd, overseer, all in this passage referring to the same office. Now, who are these? Well, these are men that God has called and that the church sets apart to serve in this role. There are other places in Scripture we have long lists of qualifications for who is allowed to serve in this role in the church. How many are there supposed to be? How many elders are there supposed to be in a church? Well, you see here there's a plural, elders, but Peter is talking to a a, a large group group of Christians. He's not really writing this to one particular church. If it ended up at one church, it was supposed to be passed to another church. He's writing, if you remember it from the beginning of the letter, he's writing to Christians scattered all over what is was Asia Minor at this time. But we do see from other places in the scripture that there are to be multiple elders within the church. Let me give you one for instance. Um, in Acts chapter uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 14 in verse 23, Paul is on one his first missionary journey. And this is what it says. And when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, not elders in that general area or in that country, but elders in every church. So every church had multiple elders appointed within those churches with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so, Uh, According to scripture, there should be multiple folks in this office of pastor within each local congregation of believers. Now, in just a moment, we're going to walk through verses two, three and four, and we're going to talk about some things that he tells shepherds, uh, overseers, elders to do. Some of you may, may be thinking, well, Zach, I think I've gathered from this that you serve in the office of elder in our church. You would be right. I serve as pastor of of this church. I'm a pastor here. And so this is really Peter talking to me. God speaking to me as as pastor. Say, well, why don't you just go read it and study it on your own? Let's skip to the part that applies to us. Because that part is coming in just a moment uh, in verse 5. But these three verses 
apply to you as well, verses 2 through 4. You say, well, how? Why? Why don't you just study it and, 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 and we can get done with the sermon a little bit quicker? Uh, well, let me give you just a couple of reasons. One, it's in the Bible, and I'm commanded as pastor to preach to you the whole counsel of God's Word. So God wouldn't be honored if I skipped over this part and said, ah, oh, it just applies to me, it doesn't apply to you. But another reason is because the church is the one who appoints elders. And so you need to know what to look for in folks who would be elders in a church. You need to know that. And this passage gives a little bit of information about it. But here's a third reason, and I, wanna, I just want to challenge you with this one. Because I think, in fact, I know, because this is just how God works and how the church continues into the future, that some of you are future elders. Some of you, God will be calling, some of you guys, God will be calling to serve as pastors in churches. Maybe in this church, maybe in other churches. God is constantly raising up people who would shepherd the flock of God. And so, for some of you, you need to pay attention to this because this is you one day. And maybe God has already been working on your heart. And I think some of you, God has been. But I know you, I know that because you, you talk to me. God's working on your heart about this calling in your life. And so for those reasons, I want to share with you um, uh, just a few thoughts about verses 2 through 4 in this office of elder. What is he commanded to do? Commanded to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes care of sheep. How does a shepherd take care of, of sheep? Well, one way, he goes ahead and gives us exercising oversight. The, the shepherd oversees the flock. That's what the shepherd does. He, he, he looks out and he, he looks at how many there are and he keeps up with how many they are, there are. And then he does certain things as the shepherd. He provides nourishment and he protects from the enemy. That's what a shepherd, that's basically, you could boil down the shepherd's job to those two things. The way that shepherd exercises oversight is by making sure the sheep are nourished, making sure they have green pastures and clear water, and by protecting the flock from enemies. So does the flock have enemies? Yeah, right? The wolves and the bears and the lions can come in. We even read about King David who had to fight those off as a shepherd boy because he was going to protect the flock. Now, what does that look like in the context of a church? I think it's fairly simple. How do the elders provide nourishment for the sheep? Right here. This is our nourishment. God's word. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is the food that God has given us. And so a faithful shepherd will feed the sheep God's word. And nothing else. And we'll enjoy feeding, feeding the people uh, the Word of God. And we'll work hard to make sure that the way He feeds it is accurate. So He's not giving them bones and gristle and all that stuff that you want to spit out of your mouth or things that might be polluted and it would make you sick. But that it is the very Word of God. This is our nourishment. And so the way elders in the church feed the sheep is by teaching and preaching God's Word. We see this over and over. The instructions that are given to the elders, overseers, pastors in the church, primarily, almost without, without really almost anything else standing in the way, is to preach 
the word. We see Paul writing to Timothy, who's an elder of the church in Ephesus. And Paul's command to him over and over is preach and teach God's word. Don't get distracted with other things. That is your job. That's how you feed the sheep. You're a shepherd. And so give your life to preaching and teaching God's word to the people that he has entrusted to your care. But then that other side of it is the protecting side, right? And so what does the shepherd do? The shepherd's on the lookout for anything that would come in and harm the sheep. That's part of the role of the elders in the church, the overseers, the pastors, is to be on the lookout for what might come in and cause destruction in the church. You know what one of those things is? We come right back to this. False teaching. Things that mimic God's word, that would masquerade as God's word, but not actually be God's word. So one of the roles of the of the pastor of the church is not only to teach and preach, but to be on the lookout for any kinds of false teaching that might be infiltrating into the church and call them out. Listen, listen, the shepherd doesn't go, hey, hey, sheep, I think there's a wolf coming up over there. Just letting you know, do what you want, you know. I'm going to go about my business. No, you know what the, you know what the shepherd does? Shepherd runs out and fights off the wolf. Gets rid of it. He's active in how he protects the flock. And so one of the roles of the elders is to be on guard on behalf of the church of any false teaching. To be looking even, even around us in society and say, these are false ideas about God, about Christianity, about the Bible that are out there. And we want to make sure that those things don't infiltrate into the the church. Then he gives a threefold um, uh, uh, way in which shepherds are to shepherd and exercise oversight. And notice these three. They're, they're, they're very simple to understand. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That first one, don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it just because you have to. He's speaking to these elders in these churches that don't just get up in the morning and say, oh, well, I guess I have to do it because God, God wanted me to do it, but I don't really want to. Man, don't do it that way. Do it because you want to do it, because you have the privilege of serving God's church as an overseer. That is a privilege. It's a joy to do that. But it's not always easy. Remember the context. These Christians are being persecuted. And you know who often is persecuted first? The elders of the church. We can read about that happening even right now in China right now. You know who the first people that get arrested are? The pastors of the churches. That's that's who that's who gets persecuted first. And so it's very likely that some who are elders in the church were thinking, I don't really want to do this. And he says, no, you be joyful in how you do it. Why? Because present suffering leads to future glory. So you don't do it under compulsion, but you do it willingly and don't do it for shameful gain. That was another thing that that, that the elders had to. Be careful of that they would say, oh, I, I think I can I think I make some money doing this. So I'm going to do it just to make money. Now, don't get me wrong. Scripture commands the church to pay those who especially labor in preaching and teaching. It's over in one of Paul's letters to Timothy. But the danger then for those who are the elders is that, just like anyone, we could fall prey to the love of money. So he wants them to be on guard against that. No, no, do it. For the money, you don't do it for the physical provision. Do it because God has called us to, and it is a joy to shepherd shepherd God's flock. But but then that third thing there says you don't domineer. So yes, you exercise oversight, elders, but you're not a tyrant. 
I heard one, 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 one writer say it this way, and I thought this was a great way to think about it. He said, listen, listen, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he said, listen, he doesn't say shepherd the flock. Uh, he, he says shepherd the flock. He doesn't say be a cowboy. So what's the difference between a cowboy and a shepherd? Well, a cowboy drives the cattle, right? He's got a whip, and he's driving them where he wants to go. It's not, what, not, not the picture here. It's a shepherd. You know what a shepherd does? Gets out in front of the flock and says, follow me. I'm going to lead you in the right direction. You just follow me. I'm not driving you there. I'm going to lead you. How does it say? By example. So those who would have the office of elders need to be people who are able to, by their example, lead God's church to love Him and serve Him. But notice the motivation in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears... Let's just stop right there. Alright, so any, any of the shepherds any of the shepherds that are thinking, hmm, I got oversight. I can kind of do what I want to do. I can do this thing however I want. Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, guess what? You're not the chief shepherd. You're not the chief. You don't get to call the shots. These are under shepherds, if you will. They serve under the authority of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back. I think this does a couple of things. One, again, it, it sobers the, the shepherds, the under shepherds. Listen, listen, uh, daddy's coming home, right? And when he gets home, we better be doing what he left us doing. We better have things in order. We better be following him. There's this reverent fear that comes with knowing that Jesus is coming back. And implied in that is that the under shepherds will have to give an account to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. There's also encouragement in that. There's also encouragement that one day Christ is coming back. And it says you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When Scripture speaks about this crown of glory, it's speaking about this beautiful eternal life that God gives to followers of Christ. And so while it may be difficult right now, while there will be sufferings right now as Christians and particularly as the shepherds of the flock, it's worth it. Because the chief shepherd is coming back. And it's all going to be made right in the end. Well, that's his exhortation to the elders. But then he switches gears in verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's truth number three that will help us participate well in the church and therefore endure to the end. Within the church, submission to elders and humility toward one another are essential ingredients for enduring as exiles. It's really two points that he's making in verse 5. Within the church, there should be submission to the elders and humility among everyone toward one another. Let's start with that first part of verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, here he uses the word younger, and, and Zach, you just said that the word elder wasn't referring to age, but now it seems like younger, that does kind of seem like age. There's some, there's some debate about exactly who he's talking about when he says the younger, but I think here he actually is talking about age. He's looking out, and he's looking at the younger ones, maybe even the younger guys. So why do you say that? Well, I think he might be trying to think, who are the people that would have the most difficult time submitting to authority. <laughs> and he looks out and he looks at the younger guys and goes, 
They kind of like to be in charge. They don't really like for anybody to tell them what to do. Not anybody else doesn't have trouble with that. But I think maybe Peter's just saying, listen, you who are younger. All right. I've been there. Peter. Listen, we know Peter. We know Peter in his younger days. Right. He liked to put his foot in his mouth a lot. He didn't like to submit to authority. We know how he acted with Jesus. Okay, and the other other disciples. He says, all right, now, though you are younger, submit to those who are in authority. Be submissive to the leaders that God has put in your place. You know what? I think by implication that applies then to the rest of the flock. Listen, the only way the shepherd can lead the flock is if the flock follows. That's what the word submission is talking about here in this context. Follows the leadership of the shepherds. Let me let me go to Hebrews chapter 13 for just a moment and share with you this verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders. And in this context, it's talking about church leaders, okay? Not civic leaders, um, not leaders at work, but talking about church leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Sounds like shepherd talk, right? They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Remember, the chief shepherd is coming back. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If the shepherd has to constantly pull the sheep along. All right, get back in line. Come on, I'm leading you in the right direction. Let's go, let's go. It kind of becomes a chore, drudgery. He says, let, let them do that with joy. You know how the shepherd leads with, is able to lead with joy? When he says, here's the green pastures over here. And the sheep say, all right, we're right behind you. And then it's a, it's a beautiful picture of, of God's structure for the church working for the benefit of everyone in the church to help everyone remain exiles to the end. So how how can I do that? How can I be submissive to the leadership, to the elders, pastors, overseers in the church? Let me just give you a couple practical ways. Number one, be present. It's really hard for a shepherd to lead a sheep that he never sees, that doesn't come to be a part of the flock. If you're off somewhere else wandering around and the flock's over here and they're gathered together and you never show up, it's going to be really hard for you to follow the leadership, the guidance of your shepherd. And so the first way that you can you can be submissive to leadership is to be present. Be here. Be at church. I don't know if I can say it any more clearly or simply than that. And then when you are be ready to learn. Those sheep need to have their, ear, their ears open so when the shepherd opens his mouth, they're ready to listen. And they're ready to learn. They're ready to learn where the green grass is and where the dead pastures are. They're ready to learn where the clear water is and where the polluted streams are. They're ready and they're eager to learn and then to apply what they learn to their lives. Not just to, not just to be a part of the flock and say, oh, I hear you, shepherd. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do that. Not only to learn, but apply what you learn to your life. And finally, to be servants in the church. Listen, that's what God's called all of us to, to do, is to serve. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 4, God talks about the, the office of pastor in the church. He calls them pastors and teachers. And he says that they've been given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that the elders have been equipped for the work of ministry to do all the ministry by themselves. But the elders have been equipped to train the flock to do the work of ministry. There's work for all of us to do. Every sheep has a part to play in the body of Christ. 
So you've got to be present. You've got to be ready to learn. You've got to be eager to apply what you learn to your life. And you've got to be servants in the church, ready to use the gifts that God has given you to serve one another, as Peter has already said in chapter 4, verse 11. But then notice this final, final sentence here in verse 5. Clothe yourselves. And now who is he talking to? All of you. Now he's talking to the elders and he's talking to the members in the church. He's talking to the shepherd and the flock. All right, I've dressed the elders. I've dressed the younger. Implied in that would be everybody else. But just thinking about the ones who might have the most difficulty with the submission part. Now, if you want this to work well, clothe yourselves with humility. What does it mean to be humble? simply means to put the interests of someone else before your own interests. We find that definition of humility in Philippians chapter 2. Where he says, have this mind among you. That is the mind of Christ. Put the interests of others before yourself. You know, you know, in a machine that has moving parts, you know how those moving parts keep working and the machine doesn't break down? What you got to make sure is in those moving parts at all times. Oil, right? you got to make sure oil is in there. If you don't put oil in your car, everything just seizes up. It seizes up and it's not going to go anywhere. It won't work. I think humility is the oil that makes the machinery of the church run smoothly. Listen, if, if the shepherd is going to lead well, he's got to be clothed with humility. If not, he's going to domineer over those in his charge. Which is what, exactly what Peter said not to do. And if the church is going to follow submissively, then there has to be that humility that gets back and forth where together, everyone, all of us, are constantly looking out for the interests of one another before we look out for our own interests. It's a lifestyle where we reject selfish living and we lay our lives down in service to one another. You know what? That makes Perfect sense for Peter, God inspiring Peter to call us to live lives of humility as a church. Because guess what? Our groom was full of humility. We are the bride. Our groom, Jesus Christ, showed more humility than anyone has ever thought of on this planet. When he, being in the very likeness of God, considered his equality with God not to be something that he would hold on to and grab on to, but Scripture says he made himself nothing and became like you and me, a servant, and being born in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's what happened. He he was born just like you and me, except he wasn't a sinner. He was born in human flesh. He humbled. He left the glories of heaven. That's why we celebrated Christmas. That Jesus left heaven's glory and came to this earth. And yes, it was His creation, but we had really wrecked it. It wasn't the creation of the Garden of Eden, a beautiful creation in the beginning. It's a creation that was full of sin and sickness and hurt and strife and struggles. And He entered into it, Scripture says. He says He became like us. And became obedient to the point of death. 
humbling himself before his father, obedient to God's will, obedient to the point of death, even, Scripture says, death on a cross. That's why Jesus came. He humbled himself. Do you know what comes after that? Philippians chapter 2, you can read all this there. I'm kind of paraphrasing. It says, therefore, because Christ humbled himself, he came to this earth, he died, he did exactly what God wanted him to do, he laid down his life for others. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen Present suffering, future glory. Suffering now, pathway to exaltation. Humility now, leading to exaltation. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's where we are humbled. The exaltation that we receive as Christians one day, when we enter into God's presence, into His glory, is not something that we did. It's the gift of grace. God opposes the proud, but... Not gives what we deserve to those who deserve it, but he gives grace to the humble. We get a free gift of everlasting life with God forever. The reality for Christians of present suffering and future glory demands that elders in the church shepherd well while the flock under their care humbly submits to their shepherds. Competent and caring coaches Commitment to the team and the team structure. Submission to leadership. Humble attitudes toward one another. Those are essential for a team to win and to keep on winning. Now, that would be especially true, think about it, if that team never played at home. You know what, we, what, what, what they call it? They're playing on the road. What do they say? Going into a hostile environment. We like the home games because everybody's for us. Everybody in the crowd is cheering. They're on our side. But when you go to that away game, you're in that hostile environment. The ones watching don't want you to win. They're opposed to you. And going into that hostile environment requires that a team stick together even more. They may be playing in a hostile environment, but the good news is they are not there alone. They have one another. And in those moments, they must rely on one another and care for one another and listen carefully for the instructions of their coaches and build one another up if they're going to survive that game. Christian, listen, Peter's message to us in this letter is that we live on the road. We live our lives as Christians in that hostile environment. There is no home game for us. Our home is coming one day, but we're not there yet. But in the meantime, as we live in this hostile environment, we have to endure. And if we're going to endure to the end, we can't turn our back on our team. We have to enjoy the gathering. We have to participate well in the gathering so that we're spurred on to live for him out in the hostile environment that tells us not to live for Jesus when we know that we have been called and saved to live for Jesus. So let me ask you a question. How are you participating in God's church? Christian, how are you participating in God's church? If you try to do this thing solo, I don't think you'll make it to the end. It's just not the way God has designed it. If you want to remain faithful to the Lord, you have to participate in the local church. Maybe you need to join a local church. Maybe that's a step for you, Christian. 
you're not a member of a local church, you need to lock arms with a local church. Talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you are a member, but you're not participating well. For some of you, the response that God would have you to this message, to this passage of Scripture, is submission to His call on your life to be an elder in the church, to be a shepherd of the flock, and God's calling you to that. He doesn't call everybody to it, but He calls some. I don't know exactly what God wants you to do in response, but can I just say this? Don't run from obedience to God. Surrender to Him. Surrender to His Word and to the Holy Spirit work in your heart today. Maybe for, maybe for some of you, the first step is surrendering your life to the chief shepherd. Maybe that's the first thing that needs to happen because you've never actually surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And today you need to say, I, I trust that when Jesus died on the cross, He died in my place. And I want to be rescued from my sin so that then I can lock arms and be in elect exile, lock arms with the church. And I can live not with this, this world that's passing away as my home, but with an eternal home waiting for me in heaven. Maybe that's the decision you need to make today. Can we just be obedient to God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word speaks into our hearts and lives. And we must respond in obedience. Father, to not obey is to disobey. To not surrender is to reject. Father, may it not be said of any of us that we have rejected the voice of your Holy Spirit today. Help us to be obedient to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.